Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Team Elvis Daily, and I am joined, as always, by the one and only, Ellie Ray Taylor. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling clever. Good. That's a, it's a good feeling, I, I suppose. That's, I don't know what to do with that, but it's good that you're feeling that way. Have you, have you ever watched The 1% Club? No, I'm not that clever. Ah, see, I got the, I got the one percent question, so I'm feeling. I imagine that's a pretty good feeling. It is. So that's that's about as smooth a segue as I go from that not being in these kind of uncharted territories. So we're also joined this week by Inside F2's Fraser Ford. How are you doing? Are you in the one percent club as well? I'm definitely in the bottom 99% club, to be honest with you. Definitely not in the, the top 1% club. But yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be back on the podcast. It's been a little while. So uh, yeah, looking forward to talking all things motorsport. So. I was going to say, it's been a little while since we've had you on. So very briefly, quick thoughts on the season so far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting, isn't it? I, I, you know, well, has it, has it? Yeah, exactly. You know, Matt Staff has run away with it, hasn't he? I, I, I've... Um, I do think, and I know people keep on banging on about it, but you take Max Verstappen at the championship, and you know it's a it's a great championship. It's uh, maybe the best championship we've if had. Only. That's how that works. Exactly, yeah. In terms of competitiveness, it's 2012. So, uh, but obviously Max isn't a ghost, and he is in the championship, and uh, he, uh, you know, credit where credit's due, he's been absolutely brilliant, and you can't fault him at all. He's uh, going to be a three-time world champion, probably more after this season as well. Let's face it; it's probably not going to be the last time he he wins a championship. And he's well on his way to being one of the all-time greats, isn't he? So, um, you know, we've uh, we've been through this with Schumacher, with Hamilton in our lifetime, and uh, there's been many more before that, whereby they've, you know, uh, they've they've dominated the sport, and it's been, you know, the Schumacher era, the Hamilton era, and this is the Verstappen era. And uh, I think we've just got to sit back, enjoy watching history as it happens, and uh, and and definitely enjoy the racing in behind him, because other than that, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? So. Pretty much as, as summed up as it can be there. It's kind of very interesting. And more so if you are a Max Verstappen fan, but if you're everyone else, you're just like, we'll just get on with this. We know what to do at this point. I see so Schumacher, Vettel, Hamilton, we've been here before. But we'll move on from that because we are back, of course, to talk about this weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix in particular. And as always, take a look at some of the news that's come out of the world of F1, which there isn't too much to do with that this week. There's the main bit of news just for this episode, which is essentially... The Hungarian Grand Prix has been renewed on the F1 calendar until 2032, which is an extension on an extension because it was already signed up until 2028. So interesting that they've added another four years on top of that. And if we just based this off qualifying, a little bit going what you were saying, Fraser, if we look at it from just this point of view, you can see why it was given that bit of an extension. And a few races that we've had over the years, definitely more, more so than not, have been quite interesting. It's kind of this in between track of it maybe doesn't deserve a legacy status just yet in terms of a still Silverstone, a Spa or a Monza, but it's definitely not one that deserves to be thrown in the bin either, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I think you look at the past few years, Hungary has always had a sort of surprise within it. You know, you had Ocon win in 2021 and out of almost nowhere. So, yeah, it's it's a good track, so it, yeah, it definitely should stay. I say Ricardo win, Button's first win, Alonso's first win, I think as well, and then Russell with the surprise pole last year, Hamilton surprise pole this year. It's kind of there's always a lot of potential there, even if the race doesn't pan out accordingly. And even from an F two and F three perspective, Fraser, 
we do get some quite good action there as well. So it's nice that if it's on the F1 calendar, chances are feeder series stays there as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm happy it's staying. I thought the root news was a bit random. I'm not going to lie. I still had four years mm-hmm. on the deal and uh, it seemed a bit out of the blue to me. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's, um, I'll be honest, it's not my favourite European track. As you say, it's not a, it's not a Spa or a Silverstone or a, or a Monza, for example. Um, but, but but it's not the worst, is it? Qualifying was good this weekend. I still think it's ironic that uh, the two highlights of the season for me this season have been uh, Monaco qualifying and probably Budapest qualifying. The, the, not a single yeah. race uh, as the... Yeah, highlights of the season, but um, yeah, as you say, it's, uh, it, it does provide good racing every now and again, um, and uh, yeah, a few good races have you touched on there. So yeah, obviously happy, happy at staying definitely. Why do you think Hungary sort of gets forgotten about? Because even if you look in, sort of, we look at the stands from previous races, they've pretty much been packed. Whilst you look at this race. And there was quite a few gaps. Hungary isn't exceptionally expensive from what I sort of know. So why do you think it's sort of being ignored? No, it is one of those cheaper tracks to go to if you compare it to many other circuits. I think Japan is one of the other cheaper ones, which is getting a bit weird considering how mad they are for motorsport in general. They're not just Formula One, especially in recent years. But going back to Hungary, it's... I don't know. I think maybe it's just one of those ones, like you say, there's nothing exceptional about it necessarily but there's nothing terrible about it either so it's just in this kind of middle ground of oh yeah we go there and people kind of just forget about it i guess it and it's maybe one of those ones where if you did have to trim something off the calendar would we miss it so much or would we be like it's a shame but oh no never mind anyway but let's get on with going back to somewhere else instead so i'm not really sure to be honest it's just because like like we've said it's had some good performances over the years across the board so it's a bit of an anomaly for me. Maybe Fraser's got the inside scoop. Who knows? Yeah, and I was just going to say that for, for me, I think it's probably because uh, Hungary isn't located near uh, the Netherlands and, uh, you know, all of the, the Orange Army are going to, uh, well, first of all, Zandvoort, but then if not, they're going to Spa and they're going to Spielberg, aren't they? So uh, the uh, the Orange Army don't quite make it to uh, to, to, to Hungary. That's probably the uh, the reason at the moment, right? Because everywhere we go in Europe at the moment, there just seems to be uh, orange flares and people having a good time, Dutch people having a good time, right? So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the reason. I don't know. No idea at all, but I think, Ellie, mate, we're just going to move ahead to qualifying instead because it was quite an interesting one. Yes, qualifying, obviously, we saw a change in how we do things with F1, making it compulsory that teams had to put a hard set of tyres on for F1, medium set for Q2, and a soft set for Q3. Q1 saw, quite strangely, a very competitive Alfa Romeo, with both drivers putting in a time that topped the order during some stage of the session, with Russell having actually a shock exit after he failed to put in a representative time after getting stuck in traffic. We saw the same thing actually happen with Bottas nearing the end of Q1 as he was ending his lap as others were starting it, this resulting in the lap time being two seconds slower than his previous. Luckily for Bottas, he had put in a quick enough lap time to remain out for bottom five, whilst George Russell had to settle for 18th position on the grid. And then Q2 again, we saw a tight battle which resulted in Carlos Sainz narrowly missing out on Q3, along with both Alpine Stroll and Daniel Ricciardo. This meant that Q3 saw Alfa Romeo, the two Alfa Romeos, the Haas of Nico Holgenberg in the top 10. Both are powered by Ferrari engines, yet only one works Ferrari joined them. And Charles Leclerc didn't even end up beating the fastest Ferrari-powered car on the grid, as he was sandwiched between Bottas in seventh and Joe Bonu in fifth, making it Alfa Romeo's best combined quality since Japan 2012. 
McLaren again had another strong qualifying performance as Oscar Piastri qualified fourth and Lando Norris third, with Red Bull taking the decision to compromise their qualifying pace in order to achieve a better race setup. It led to Sergio Perez qualifying ninth and Max Verstappen second, meaning Lewis Hamilton took a record-breaking ninth pole, the most of any driver at any circuit, and his first pole since Saudi Arabia in 2021. With Hungary being a less power-hungry track, the gap between Hülkenberg in 10th and Hamilton in pole was just 0.55 seconds, equaling the gap between Fernando Alonso in 10th and Ruben Barros Keller on pole in Brazil 2003 as the closest top 10 in F1 history. What do you think of the new qualifying format? Do you think it led to this slightly mixed-up grid, or do you think it was down to more external factors? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think the qualifying format probably did make a bit of an impact there. Um, and, you know, George Russell, for I mean, uh, you know, George Russell missing out, for example. Mercedes didn't seem to be good on the, on the hard tyre this weekend, did they, all weekend long? So I definitely think that made an impact. I would say as well that I, I think that, um, for example, uh, you know, having a wet P2 really impacted things. We see even with a normal qualifying format, you, you do generally see that qualifying is a bit mixed up when you have a rained off P, P1 or P2, for example, where the drivers aren't necessarily able to, to practice their short runs, for example. So I think that definitely, um, you know, made a bit of an impact on that as well. Um, and then finally, yeah, as you say, the Afro Maris, for example, did really well. And I think their new engine uh, has definitely contributed towards that. But the grid in general really seems to be closing up, doesn't it? And I think, you know, if the driver becomes even more important uh, as the grid closes up it's down to the driver the driver can make you know uh, a tenth or two here or there i i don't believe mercedes had the fastest qualifying car on saturday but i think it was lewis hamilton himself that you know really made the time up there and managed to get pole position i think that was the difference on saturday and i think we're seeing that more and more as the grid closes up so i think it's a combination of things but the qualifying format um as much as it did mix things up a little bit did i like it um yeah, I think I did. I do think I did. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it definitely makes sense from an environmental perspective, which is what they've obviously brought it in for, um, which is really, really positive. Um, so, yeah, I, I think let's let's see it again a couple more times this season at a few different uh, tracks to see how uh, whether it has the same kind of impact elsewhere. But, um, yeah, my first thoughts were reasonably positive, I think. I think for me, kind of echoing what you were saying there, Fraser, I liked it, but there's little asterisks at the top there that was where Martin Brundle was there as well. It was like, it mixed things up a bit, but not necessarily in the way that you want completely because it did throw some of the heavy hitters out a bit early on, which you would have loved to see up in the race, especially now that we know what the race was like, to see what they could have potentially done. And it does feel a little bit manufactured. And then what Lewis was saying, I wanted to echo as well, was this whole thing of, there's the environmental aspect too, which is fair enough, but maybe just still reduce the number of sets of tyres you bring anyway, but then just let strategy come into play there because potentially that could be even more interesting and you still save however many tyres it was and how much tonnage per year, I think it was something like 3,000 or 30,000 tonnes of rubber or something silly like that from being transported around the place. And teams always prefer that strategy to it rather than it being just this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing, because there's not really any scope for them there, which I suppose on the one hand, the only team that benefits in that sense with the lack of strategy needing to be implemented is Ferrari, and they did, did about as, norm, as, as they would normally, so I guess they're the kind of winners from this, but overall it was it worked and gave us probably, I think, like you were alluding to earlier, the best qualifying we've had since Monaco. 
I think the irony out of it all is because they're obviously trying this uh, new format. Obviously, it was meant to be in Imola that got cancelled, so they moved it to Hungary. The other one is in Monza. Now, these are, I, I assume, probably make their tyres in Italy. So they've had probably the least travelling distance to take less tyres to a track. So why did they not try this further afield? Why did they say, let's sort of keep it within sort of Italy and sort of nearby? The only thing I can think of is that if if it did go so horribly wrong, they didn't have far to go to get, I guess, more tyres. But that's the only reason I can think of why they did it so closely. But again, you must think that as, an, as it's an experiment, would you not have backup sets just in case for that anyway? But again, like you say, common sense and F1 and all of that doesn't always go hand in hand. So your guess is as good as mine. But it's a valid question. And I'd love to know. I, I, yeah, I did think the same thing as well. Like if you can do it, like do it in Australia or do it in the uh, the the, the, it can really have the things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, if uh, if they run out of tires, so be it. Do you know what I mean, let the let the teams deal with that. If uh, you know we're uh, in Q three, and uh, you know Carlos signs this up. This is to... proven several times. He only needs three wheels to get around a track, so he should be fine anyway. Exactly that, right? Exactly that. No, I, I don't know. I just I just think like let let's let's make the teams let's make the team work. Let's make the teams deal with it. If they if they have to put on another set of super uh, so, sorry super stuff, so I'm living in twenty nineteen. You have to put on another set of soft tires that have already done a few laps. So be it. Just because they're not at their prime, you know, they're they're not at their optimal. It doesn't mean that they don't work. So um I, I didn't really understand that. Do you know? Do you know? What I also find quite ironic as well was um the fact that with mercedes for example where going back to this qualifying system with um some cars working really well on some tires but not working very well on other tires uh mercedes for example seemed to really switch on the the soft tires uh, which was which was great but struggled with the medium and hards and i did it did leave me wondering if george russell had have just scraped through q q1 and then maybe scraped through, through q2 as well would he have been on the front row would he have been on pole if he'd uh, have actually uh, made it to q3 because the mercedes just got the soft the soft tires working so quickly and uh yeah it did make me my wonder yeah he qualified 18th but, but but could he have been on pole if he was uh literally just uh into into q3 and able to use the soft tires which I thought was quite an interesting uh thought the last yeah. thing i want to say on tires quickly there is that obviously this year's hards were last year's mediums i think if i'm getting that the right way around so maybe that was why they're doing it in the, lo- the local vicinity in case of they're not sure that maybe they've made these tires too soft as a next thing and they're kind of they're always constantly improving in some ways, but at what point do you say maybe this aspect of it doesn't need improving? Maybe it should be harder for a reason. And maybe it was, okay, like you were saying, we need to be closer so we can grab some spare sets in case we need them. Whereas that's potentially more difficult in somewhere like Singapore or Australia. But again, it goes into this whole tire debate that maybe we can have a whole podcast on at some point anyway. I know you'd like that probably. <laughs> um, so it's maybe, maybe that was a, a contributing factor. Oh. Just going on tyres, because obviously they've added a new tyre spec, haven't they? The C0. I haven't actually seen us use it yet. I don't think. I was trying to sort of write through my memory, but I I don't think we've used it. So why is it there? 
You're just asking a lot of questions and just hoping <laughs> Fraser and I know the answers when we're as boggled. You've clearly pointed out you're in the top 1%. You can answer these questions for <laughs> us. <laughs> where, where are the tyres? Where, where do they degrade the most? Where do we use the softest compound of tyres? Is it Monaco? Is it Monaco? Did we did we see the C0 in Monaco? I, I don't know the answer to it. To I don't think we would have done because of the conditions, no. Yeah. Oh, ah, maybe that's what it is. That's why we haven't seen Maybe that. Monza would see them. Just because it's first and soft would be the... But again, then do we see them at all because of the qualifying format or do we just see them maybe in the race? Who knows? I guess maybe the only thing I can think of is that they had to change the way the tyres work a lot earlier on than they were supposed to. We're meant to have sort of these new tyres that have come in, I think around about now, we're meant to have them last year. No, next year, sorry. So maybe that's the reason we're now not seeing them because now the tyres that we are using have changed enough that we don't need the C0. When when you do do your tyre uh, podcast, I think you should invite the one, the only Super Mario, uh, Mario Isola onto uh, uh, the uh, the podcast and uh, he can answer all the questions. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's uh, he's been on with Inside F2 before, so you never know, right? Ellie, may I just wheel this whiteboard into the background of the right? These are my questions. This is what I've figured out so far. Fill in the gaps. Go. And Ted Kravitz. I mean, the man loves tired chap. So uh, he you does. could have a good little panel there. That would be Watch a great life. Yeah. Looking towards the race now, and it was a double DNF Alpine right at the start. Joe Guanyu suffered anti-stall as the lights went out, becoming bogged down as the drivers went past him. He then tagged the back of Daniel Ricciardo on entry into Turn 1, who then caught the back of Ocon, who then countersteered um, the hit into Gasly, causing bodywork and internal damage on both cars, forcing them to retire due to no fault of their own. Alpine have been plagued with bad luck this season, and this this race was no different. I think what makes it worse is the for the team is that McLaren are now leaving Alpine for dust in the constructors and it doesn't particularly look like they're going to be able to catch up as they haven't got the performance McLaren do at the moment. They're kind of just in this lull, aren't they? And I don't I don't really know what's going to improve for them. The thing that amuses me the most about it was just the fact that Joe is obviously Bottas' teammate, Bottas, famous for stuff on turn one, lap one at the Hungarian Grand Prix, probably looking over him going, traditions i've taught the boy well it, it wasn't uh wasn't ideal shall we say was it for for alfa romeo they uh had their best qualified you say since japan 2012 is that right yeah and uh they uh yeah by by the the end of lap one i don't think they had a driver in the top 10 so uh yeah i i did feel for alfa romeo and i do wonder what their race pace was because uh and i saw a uh a little graphic going around pre-race, which uh, I don't know how uh, accurate it was. I'm not sure. But it showed Alfa Romeo's race pace as being as good as Red Bull's, which was really interesting. I'm sure that's uh, something uh, maybe from um, practice one, practice two, whereby uh, yeah, Alfa Romeo had the engine turned up or something. I'm not sure what it was. But uh, it would have been interesting. I, I do wonder whether... Uh, Joe, for example, could have stayed ahead of the Ferraris um, and uh, could have, uh, yeah. It would have been fascinating to see if he could have done an Alex Albon essentially and just make the car as wide as the track and keep anyone behind him there because we don't really get to see him up in those positions very often, if ever, until now. And then it just goes immediately backwards and you're like, never mind, try again later. 100%. 
that was kind of one of the questions I had because obviously Joe Guan Yu fell back to 16th Aussie after the poor start and then a five second penalty for causing the turn one collision, which is which is fair enough. It was well, do you think if it wasn't for the anti-stall and the collision resulting in the penalty that Joe could have remained in the points? Could he have, you know, kept off Aston Martin and Ferrari, for instance? Yes. Yeah, I, I, do, I do. I do. I do think yeah, I think he would have been in the points over Stroll, for example. I don't think Aston Martin's pace was particularly great this weekend. Maybe Alonso, uh, who was 15 seconds up the road from Stroll, by the way, um, would have uh, would have managed to get himself in the points. But I do think Alfa Romeo, I think they were a quicker, t- a quicker car than, than Aston Martin this weekend. Um, I don't know. They didn't show it in the race, but um yeah it would have been interesting to see wouldn't it and uh, but again i just love the fact that the the grid is closing up it really really is isn't it you know i know red bull are uh 200 miles out in front of everyone else but you know other than that you look at mclaren mercedes uh ferrari aston martin alfa romeo joining the joining the party as well um yeah i just uh yeah i i, I just it's really, it's really it makes me excited uh, as we move into the, the second half of the season because alpine again alpine have been up there at points uh, during this season as well i remember gasly running in the top four in melbourne for example i think they've been quite, <laughs> quite unlucky. <laughs> yeah oh yeah we won't talk about that they had a, a bad as bad a result as uh, what they did this weekend and the british grand prix to be fair they haven't had any luck have they? It, it, but, it, at least to this one in comparison to australia they got it out of the way early doors and didn't get the hopes <laughs> up and then ruin it the last moment <laughs> that is very true yeah I, I don't think the Alpine pace is bad by the way they just can't have a clean weekend can they but their race pace actually seems all right I think he's up there with Aston Martin and with Ferrari for example so um yeah hopefully they'll have a clean weekend in Spa and we can see their genuine pace yeah um I do as well they need it because they haven't scored any points for the last two races and then I think Austria they scored what one or two with Gasly so it's it's not great, but was the head to the other other team now that was affected by uh, Joe Guan Yu sort of going bowling, and that was AlphaTauri. With uh, Daniel Ricciardo had a good comeback after being hit at the start of the race to come in th- home in thirteenth. On the second round of pit stops, he pitted a lot earlier than the others around him, allowing him to regain a few positions. But that would have also sort of been helped by Ricardo managing his tyres well to then keep that position as he was on the mediums from lap 29 the others were sort of maybe about sort of five laps after we sort of saw maybe the ones around him starting to to pit and Yuki meanwhile had a slow pit stop which hampered his track position resulting in him falling back to 15th but Franz Tost has said that it will take Ricardo five or six races to get back up to speed, whereas Martin Brundle has said he needs to beat Yuki from the get-go. Where do you fall in your thoughts to where we should see Daniel Ricardo's performance as up to scratch as the rest of the grid? Are you sort of with Martin or are you with Franz and sort of giving him a few races? Well, the proof is with Martin, surely, because he's he's gone out and beat him in qualifying in the race straight away. And there we go, job done. Next. I think my argument to that would be Daniel Ricciardo beat Lando Norris in the first race at McLaren and then proceeded to just not. True, so. but at the same time, vastly different teammates and experience levels there. And Ricciardo was obviously coming off the back of a whole kind of team swap and this for time he's had a break for a bit and it's I'll, I'll go somewhere in the middle then and be diplomatic about it and say that 
maybe Sandfall is seems like an odd one to to go for because that's going to be tricky track to do anything there with with overtaking. But maybe Monza, he does all right there generally, and obviously he won there last. And I'm not expecting him to necessarily win there this time with the Avatari. Although what a Grand Prix we could have if he does. Um, but I I think he's done exactly what he needs to do, and it's kind of it's a shame that he did get tagged by Joe because he's another driver there like Joe we could have seen a lot more out of him and potentially he would have been the one overtaking Stroll for that P10 and getting that point there, which would have been absolutely perfect, I think, in terms of proving himself there. And it's also worth pointing out that qualifying-wise, and this is related to Hulkenberg, P10, but didn't actually really go and do much in Q3 at all. So it would have been interesting to see if he could have beaten Perez this time. And if so... Ricardo would then have only been three spots away from Perez in a Red Bull. This being said, he was only four spots away from him first time out, and Perez has not really got any excuse for that. Spa will be interesting anyway. It will be really interesting to see how close or if Daniel Ricardo is in front of um, uh, Yuki Tsunoda. If he beats him two races in a row... Okay, I think he's back. Do you know what I mean? And uh, we, we really... Everyone sits up and... Uh, and yeah, takes note. But uh, if Yuki Tsunoda goes and beats him in Spa, it's like, okay, where do we kind of, where do we sit with it? So Spa will be really interesting. The track is always It depends gone how like he gets beaten, if it does one way or the other. Is it because of pure pace? Is it because of Spa being Spa and there's an instant into turn one or something or bad strategy? Yeah. What is the reasoning for it? 100%. But, you know, it's, it's it'll be, yeah, a, a race winner in Spa, by the way, he's, he goes well there. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, Holy mac and cheese balls. Is it good to have him back, right? It's so uh, it's so good, isn't it, to have his smile back on the grid. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to have him uh, back on the grid for the rest of the season. Yeah, under under this jumper is an Enchanté t-shirt. So <laughs> I am a Danny Rick fan, but I have done some maths. So <laughs> I'm not the best at maths, so this could be terrible. I thought you'd top but... 1%. I see she's coming back down to our level, Fraser. <laughs> in the top one percent for like logic all right, all right, and all right. common sense maths <laughs> <laughs> but yuki sonoda's average qualifying position this year has been 14th and finished position is 13th so i guess ricardo needs to be matching that or better but obviously already this matching is, it he's already matching it i guess the counter argument is that's quantitative data, so it's difficult as you know, Alpha Tario perhaps in a worse position now than they were at the start of the season. Um, but I guess the other thing is to look at is Nick DeVries. His average was 16.9, so almost 17th for qualifying, and then 15 and a half for the race. And so the other question, I guess, is would Nick DeVries have qualified 13th at Hungary? And the answer is. Probably not. No, I, I think that says everything you need to know, doesn't it? That um, I really feel for Nick DeVries, uh, you know, a great driver, um, a Formula 2 champion, a Formula E champion. You know, you're talking about a guy with with real pedigree across the motor, across motorsport and uh, across different series. But was it harsh? Yes. Did he know going into that seat that it was you know, it's a bit cutthroat and he, you know, yes, he did. I mean, everyone knows what Helmet Marco is like. So if he wasn't performing, he wasn't doing 
what was required of him, then he was going to get the chop. Uh, and, and that's what ended up happening. Yeah, we would need a Vries have qualified 13th in Budapest. No, I don't think so. Uh, did Daniel Ricciardo get the most out of the car? Yeah, I think he did. And I think that probably justifies their decision in getting Ricciardo in. Um, and I, I, I think that this whole thing is not this. This saga isn't about uh, how good Nick DeVries is and whether Daniel Ricciardo is a better driver than Nick DeVries. I think this is about Sergio Perez and putting a bit of pressure on Sergio Perez and uh, what Red Bull do. I mean, Red Bull are in a win-win by having Daniel Ricciardo in the car. And if Daniel Ricciardo turns out to be great, he puts a bit of pressure on Sergio Perez and they have options. If Yuki Tsunoda went and beat Daniel Ricciardo, then... You know, how good is Yuki Tsunoda? Do you know what I mean? Is that the saying Yuki Tsunoda is ready to jump in a Red Bull and he could perhaps replace Sergio Perez? So I don't think this thing was ever about, you know, Nick DeVries and, and Daniel Ricciardo, who was the better driver. Um, but I do think this weekend is probably, and I will see going into Spa if Daniel Ricciardo beats Yuki Tsunoda again. But I, I do think it's about um, testing um, Daniel Ricciardo and also testing Yuki Tsunoda and also putting a bit of pressure on Sergio Perez. So yeah, it's 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 almost become a, a bit of a probably one of the main talking points this season, right? Because uh, the races haven't exactly been great, have they? So uh, yeah, you must have listened to our preview. As that's that was that was pretty much my argument at the um, with the Daniel Ricciardo chat. But I said I think this is we need to look at the bigger picture, and this is more about Sergio Perez underperforming rather than Nick De Vries underperforming, and they need to Red Bull are looking at their options as to who might be in that second seat next year. To be fair, he was talking there, and I was like, "This sounds like I've heard this somewhere before." <laughs> I was trying to think, have I been having a conversation with someone on Messenger, like just off off screen? Which that was very short. This rings a bell from somewhere. <laughs> I agree with what you guys are saying, though. Do you, I mean, I agree with what you said in the preview that you know it's this isn't yeah this this is about Sergio Perez for me, and uh, I don't even know if it's for for twenty twenty four, maybe it's for twenty twenty five. I don't I, I I don't know. I, my my only thing on that is I just don't see the point in putting Ricardo in an AlphaTauri for a second full for a, for a full season next year. It seems that if especially if he can do what we think he can do, it seems that then you're wasting that talent of like. Max has made no qualms about wanting him in the Red Bull. Yeah. So, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind having a bit more of a challenge for P1 because then if he gets beaten, he won't mind too much, I don't think, overall, because he'd like, at least I got it fair and square. Because I mean, he probably, as much as he hated battling Lewis, he loved it as well because you know that you're really earning that championship in a whole other regard. And if you beat him, well, you beat Daniel Ricciardo in a Red Bull and you definitely have at least one championship that doesn't have any controversy attached to it then. Which is That's what he just true. which is what he really needs at this point. He has one Can't... that gets done awkwardly. The second one, Japan, was a mess. This one, you're like, well, you have no competition if you're going to be going down that route. So like someone please let this man just have a break and have a normal championship. Can, can you imagine though Daniel Ricciardo jumps in the Red Bull for 2024 and wins the championship? He beats Max Verstappen to the championship. I mean, that would be one of the greatest comebacks of all time. You know, Renault didn't really work out. Uh, McLaren definitely didn't work out. Loses his race seat on the grid for 2023. Comes back in an Alpha Tauri and does well. And it goes on to carry the momentum through to, to beat Max Verstappen, one of the greatest of all time, uh, to, to win the championship. I mean... That would be one of the greatest comeback of all time, stories of all time, right? I'm writing that down yeah. now on the Excel sheet for next year for you, Fraser. <laughs> get, get on the, get on the, yeah, make a record of it, definitely. It's honestly what I dream of. <laughs> yeah, what we all dream of, Ellie May. Yeah, I mean, 
the last time, what, he was in the Red Bull 2018. Is that his last one? Yeah. yeah 2018, yeah. yeah. Aussie Max beat him then, but obviously Ricardo, I think, from memory, was pretty badly plagued with reliability issues. Uh, if you then go a couple of years back again, Ricardo was beating Verstappen and outright. Vettel. And Vettel, yes. So no, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do have to say, I, I don't, I don't think Ricardo is a better driver than Verstappen. By the way, I don't think that Ricardo will get in a Red Bull and be anywhere near as good as Verstappen. I, I yeah. I, How is he winning that championship, Fraser? I, well, maybe Max has some bad reliability, like when Rosberg <laughs> won the championship in 2016. I don't know, mate. I don't know. But the, the other the other side to this that we haven't spoken about is obviously AlphaTauri uh, having a rebrand next year, right? And there's some new personnel coming in, obviously. Uh, Ron Chante team. Exactly that. And, and, and uh, yeah, part of me does wonder, like, what if, what if part of the rebrand is Ford coming in and there's something there and, and they're not necessarily going to be a Red Bull second team, a Red Bull junior team. Maybe it's more more of a rebranded um, team that, yes, is associated with Red Bull, but isn't necessarily a B team or a junior team. And they want Daniel Ricciardo to to lead on that, um, that push. He's a very marketable driver, obviously. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe they want um, Daniel Ricciardo to, to come in and be, be a lead driver in a new reformed team, which isn't a junior team, which isn't a B team. It's more of a, an actual team that has a little bit of a partnership with Red Bull, for example. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, I'll tell um, you what, then, the last thing to before we move this conversation on to other bits of the race, Yes, my I will take your prediction for next year. Apply it to twenty twenty five, but Ricardo does it in Alpha Tauri in whatever that team is then called. What he wins the championship in the Alpha Tauri or whatever it's called. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I mean, anything other than Red Bull winning right now, I'm here for it. But, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and that's no disrespect to Red Bull. I have to say that's not because I don't like Red Bull. It's uh, just because it's a bit boring, isn't it? Max Verstappen winning every single race. So. We've got to we've got to bring the competition to Verstappen, but one team that probably isn't doing it is Haas. Um, they're in a similar situation every weekend, really. Hulkenberg does well in qualifying, and then both Hasses just cook their tires and they're nowhere in the race. But something we haven't really touched upon in this podcast, I think, because other fa- other uh, drivers have sort of maybe been underperforming, is. Do we think Kevin Magnussen has a seat for Haas next year? Is he performing as we expect for a Haas, or could he be doing better? Again, if you look at averages, Nico Hulkenberg is qualifying 10th and finishing on average in 14th, but has all but two of Haas's points. Magnussen is qualifying 15 and a half and averaging, funnily enough, in 14th, which is actually the same as Hulkenberg, but... Haas and Williams are on the same points, but with countback, Williams are in seventh, whilst Haas are in eighth. So even if they aren't fighting for points every race, they need to have as high a finish as they can if they want to take overtake Williams, as obviously there's a few million pounds different between finishing seventh and eighth in the constructors. So am I being a bit harsh if I say, is that down to perhaps Magnussen? Or, I mean, do, do we think... I don't think before... you're being harsh with that. I think that... And it's very telling what Gunter was saying recently that Hulk, he wants to extend the contract there. Magnuson will see, essentially, which considering his comeback story and everything, it would be a shame if he then left under this kind of another quiet exit from Haas with not really achieving too much aside from a pole position in spectacular style. Um, 
If he did go, though, I couldn't blame them. And also, they might want to try something different there. It's just the awkward thing of what I want is what they've said they won't do for a long time, which is put a rookie in the car because I want Vesti to go there from F2. Um, but if they want another experienced driver, I don't know who you get for that. I've got my own theory on it, team. I know we've spoken about this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think this comes back to, which is currently Alfa Romeo, Sauber. Um, mm. and Sauber have got quite a talented rookie in Formula as well, not a rookie, he's first season in Formula 2 but uh, he would be a rookie in Formula 1 uh, in the name of Theo Porsche and uh, I think he'll go on to win the Formula 2 Championship and uh, he's quite a talented individual is uh, young Theo, uh, Monaco winner at 17 years old in Formula 2 the youngest Formula 2 winner um, and uh, I think they'll, he, they've invested an awful lot in his junior career, they're Paying for his entire Formula Two season this season, which is uh, pretty unheard of, um, and I think they're ready to put Teo Porsche in the Sauber car, which will be the Sauber next season, um, and it's the Sauber Academy that have carried him through. Uh, and I think they'll put him alongside Valtteri Bottas. I think Valtteri Bottas's uh, experience will be valuable to, to young Teo Porsche, uh, and obviously, and that will be very harsh on, on Joe Guanyu. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Joe Guanyu. I think he's done a really good job. Um, this season and last season as well in his rookie season. Um, but yeah, when you when you look at, I'm just having a look at the 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 points that he got. It wasn't very many last season. It was a solid rookie season, but it wasn't very many. Four points this season. Um, yeah, is that is that good enough for for a team like Alfa Romeo who are looking? At, um, is it, it good enough for a team like Hess? Well, and this is what I was just about to say that you know I think he brings a lot of money, right? And uh, one of the one of the uh, highest amount of money on the on the on the F one grid, right? Haas absolutely love a bit of money, don't they? So if uh, Zhou Guanyu is available and Haas do fancy a, an experienced driver, they're not going to go for a rookie. We know that because for Steiner uh, absolutely despises rookies off the back of Mick Schumacher and uh, Nikita Mazepin's um, experience. Um, yeah, if they want an experienced driver who brings a bit of money in, then Zhou Guanyu ticks both boxes there. Um, and if uh, there's also a few rumours circulating that, uh, you know, Alfa Romeo, yes, they're, they're not going to be in a Formula One team next year. If they go over with their sponsor, a title sponsorship over to, to Haas as well, you could have an Alfa Romeo Haas with a Zhou Guanyu in the seat, bringing a lot of money alongside Nico Hulkenberg. And I don't think that's a bad little team, you know, Alfa Romeo Haas with Hulkenberg and, and, and Joe Guanyu. I think that's a, a, a nice little team. So, uh, yeah, I'm throwing that out there early doors. Timo, whack it on your spreadsheet. That's uh, that's a bold prediction for next season. That's interesting because I've always sort of seen it that Joe Guanyu has done better than Bottas this season. But equally, can we compare? So I'm just looking at it now. So 2022, Valtteri Bottas, 49 points. Joe Guanyu, six points. Right. Fast forward to 2023, driver's standings. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, five points. Joe Guanyu, four points. Yeah, fair enough. A lot closer. Um, but um, they've had a pretty rubbish car this season. I think that's fair to say. Joe did really well this weekend, didn't he? Obviously out-qualified Valtteri Bottas up in P5. But has he done enough over two seasons to warrant him being the one that they keep over a multiple race winner and a guy with a lot of experience, Joe Grand- uh, sorry, Valtteri Bottas? I don't know. I don't know. Not not for me, anyway. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, he, I mean, as well, Joe Grand- you could just move to Haas in his own in his own right and that'll be the first non-blonde 
since what Roman Grosjean in <laughs> in twenty twenty. It'll be in the contract. That's an amazing diet. <laughs> He'll have to do an Alex Albon and. I'd say yeah. Albon will just sneak over to the garage and be like, I've got to fix this for you. You're not allowed in otherwise. That's an amazing stat. I love that, Ellie Mae. Thanks. Um, well, we may as well then obviously move move on to Williams and has his, I guess, closest rival at the minute with them being on equal points. And I'd say they sort of had a quiet race, really. I don't, I don't think there was much to report on their race other than sort of Sergeant spinning at the end and retiring, but because it was sort of within the last few laps he still classified an 18th and a sort of album album finished just out the points in 11th is it's not obviously not as a strong performance as Silverstone it was I think they're just kind of there yeah I mean it was right. it was an odd one I think because they predicted that their next points would be Budapest and Spa and then they obviously got them a lot sooner than they thought in previous races and here they got close again but Again, I think it's not a bad thing either because, you know, you're still better than a lot of the other teams and not a billion miles away from Aston Martin if you look at it from from Albon's perspective there. And Sargent, again, rookie season, but doing quite well with the tools given to him. So I think, yeah, there's not a lot to report there, but it's in a weirdly more positive sense than Aston Martin, who there's not a lot to report there. And that's worrying. Yeah, for, for me, I mean, Williams... Um... Track didn't suit them. They'll be in the points in Spa next. <laughs> well, we want to Aston Martin then. Uh, both drivers, obviously, in the points. P9 for Alonso, 10th for Stroll. But it's obviously a downward trajectory from where they were at the start of the season with McLaren and Mercedes bringing up grades or Ferrari sort of sometimes being better than them, sometimes not. Where do you think we see Aston Martin's trajectory going for the rest of the season? And do we think McLaren could overtake them in the constructors? I don't know about the constructors, but if my depressing theory is correct, then maybe because it seems that they're doing an extreme version of a Haas year. Let's have a great first stint and then drop off dramatically and wonder what the hell will happen. Do you think it could partially be down to the fact that they're moving into a new factory? They're not so much looking at their upgrades at the minute. Maybe upgrades will come later in the year. They're just sort of getting settled in and maybe priority has been on that a bit more. Perhaps. And I think it's like what Freda was saying with Williams might just be a bit more track dependent. We've seen them stronger earlier on the season. It'd be interesting to see what they're like in Singapore, for example, because they do dwell in some of the street circuits. Baku wasn't one of them, but they still didn't do badly by, by any stretch of imagination. Whereas we've seen Mercedes come and go, kind of this yo-yo effect, and then McLaren make this giant jump, and we're like, is that just because of the upgrades, or is that because of the track? We need a bit more time to find out. So I think it's just the rest of the field bunching up a bit, and Aston Martin not expecting to do what they already did this year in some ways. So they would have been happy with this, but because we're used to seeing Alonso on the podium now, we're like, well, come on, get on with it then. You, you you were doing so well. And now we're disappointed with P9 for Alonso, whereas before we'd have been like, oh no, we take that actually. And we should be pretty happy with that. 
I think uh, so Fernando Alonso um, maybe let, let let one slip, if you like, over the over the weekend and said that um, it's something to do with, or he believes anyway, that it's something to do with the new tyre compound that was uh, introduced in uh, Silverstone that just doesn't suit the Aston Martin. Um, so that's really interesting. The team haven't said that. That was what Fernando Alonso said. I don't know whether he was meant to say that or not. Um, but, it's hard uh, to know with Alonso if he means it all or not anyway. <laughs> It is, and if he's bluffing or who knows what's going on with Fernando Alonso. What I do have to say is, anyway, it's a, it's a really interesting question that you just posed in that, you know, is the, the factory getting in the way of their, their upgrades a little bit? I do have to say with that team, regardless of, how, you know, if they, uh, how, how they end up doing from now until the end of the season, they are building the infrastructure to be a top team with years to for years to come. And I think, you know, we will see them. They will have a seriously competitive car again next year. And I think moving into 25, particularly 26 with the new regulations with Honda coming back and working with Honda. I think they really could be a championship winning car for uh, yeah, years to come, whether that be with Fernando Alonso or uh, some, probably Fernando Alonso actually, he'll still be there in 2030, won't he? So. It's the interesting stat I read this morning was that, um, oh no, who was it now? I think it was Jack Brabham um, was accused of being too old at 40 in 1966, I think of being at Silverstone, the Grand Prix. So who, um, he came onto the grid with a walking stick and a fake beard and then went on to win the championship that year. And I just like, yeah, that's probably Alonso's uh, relative somehow in the, in the mix there. There's some DNA thrown in for that. That's a bit like um, Nigel Mansell was what, 39 when he won. And that was an exceptionally difficult car to drive. It, In theory, they are easier now in some respect with power steering and whatnot so okay then we're, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna nail this in now fraser ellie may ricardo next year with the red bull championship alonso in 25 lewis in 26 to get that third champ that third championship that eighth championship in the third different era i guess and then he can leave and then i don't care after that because look at those three years that we've had it would be uh, probably a Ferrari out of mercy in 2028 to make it 20 years since Kimmy. Well, I was just going to say uh, perhaps Lewis Hamilton wins in a Ferrari because he does. He does want to. He always said he wanted to move over to Ferrari. Maybe maybe for World Endurance Championship, not for F1. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll move on to Ferrari then, and they also like Aston Martin scored double points with a P8 and P7 for Sainz and Leclerc respectively. Sainz took a different strategy to most by starting on the soft compound, which helped him jump up from 11th to 6th, but ultimately tyre degradation got the better of Ferrari on both the softs and the hards and really struggling towards the end. Leclerc didn't have much better time of it, receiving a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Apparently as well, it wasn't even a lot. And apparently it was like less than one kilometre an hour. Is that what they... That's such so... a Ferrari thing to do, though. I know. Can't even speed um... properly. <laughs> and also they then had a horrible 9.4-second pit stop for good measure. I mean, with Ferrari off the pace, I guess it looks like their closest rivals at the moment are Aston Martin, who have also sort of, I guess, fallen off the pace as well. And it's both those teams that seems to be very track specific with them both. And it's, I don't know. You, you, you say track specific, but Ferrari, does it really matter where they are for them to do anything? Specific. 
Yes. Then they had softs left over, so they thought, ah, why don't we just put signs on the softs? Look how that sort of worked out. I guess it didn't work out too badly, but... I think, think part of the mismatch on the strategy is that they keep prioritizing Leclerc over signs, and it's not always clear why. It's just, yes, he's there longer. Yes, he's your golden boy, but signs might actually be able to do something in the specific race, and there's more of that happening, and signs kind of has to call out the strategists over and over again. Like, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this instead, because ignoring them and making his own thing is how they won their last Grand Prix. So maybe the guy knows what he's doing. Guys, can we can we not sugarcoat this? They finished seventy seconds off the lead. They're almost lapped. <laughs> we're talking about the team who were the second best team in Formula Two last year. Probably Formula the two. second best. Sorry, Formula Formula One. Sorry, Formula Two. The second the best second best team, in Formula Two. Something really uh, I, I talk about Formula Two too much. Don't know. You can tell. Um, the the second best team in Formula One last year. The second best team at the start of this season. The team that were challenging for uh, Red Bull the most. Charles Leclerc had a pole in round four, 70 seconds. They haven't learned from their strategy mistakes. They're still making mistakes. The drivers are still making errors. Um, I don't know, guys. I don't think we can sugarcoat this and say, oh, yeah, it's not a bad weekend. You know, it's not all. It's pretty dreadful, isn't it? For Ferrari, the team with the most history, the most money, right? They've with, with only Frank been racing it. since 1929. Yeah, You can't true. expect they them to get everything right. They need a few more years to learn, don't they? A few more learning years. Oh, God, it's I, just... I, I just want to conduct an experiment now and have you on the podcast for a few more weeks just to see if we can get a couple of grey hairs. <laughs> just from Honestly, Ferrari. Oh, uh, it just, it just, I, I, I don't know. That team is underperforming massively. And for me, you know, last year, you, you look at them and you think, wow, okay, Ferrari are back. You know, we haven't seen Ferrari regularly at the front since what, 2018, 2019? Even then, they're not the. The the well definitely not 2019 actually 2018 when that 2018 2017 so uh, and 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 before then it's years before I just think this is a team that are massively underperforming and uh, you know fair enough Fred Vasseur has gone in there and we should give him a bit more time I don't think we should judge him in the first ten races of the 10, 11, 11 races of the of the season I think he needs a bit he needs a bit more time but but right now guys they they're really underperforming no I don't know maybe I'm being really hard well, they I don't are know. they are we just we're just yeah. getting really depressed talking about it, I think. So we need someone else to do it for us. Yeah, we've got sort of a bit a bit delusional. We sort of just leave Ferrari in a corner, kind of just try and ignore them. But I think, uh, I mean, I guess apart from the real Hamilton dominance era, I think I remember sort of my dad saying that before that, Ferrari was seen as a bit of a joke because they weren't doing particularly well. So I guess they do just kind of have these ups and downs. They can't stay very consistent. And it's probably some of that is down to maybe favouring a driver more than the other. You've got to think they favour Leclerc, yet Sainz and Leclerc have been a pairing for three years now. And Sainz is beat Leclerc in the first year. Leclerc then obviously beat Sainz the second year, but now Le- Sainz is beating Leclerc again. Why are they sitting on Sainz? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. They need to. If they were fighting for a championship, and it kind of gets to that point in the season where you're like, okay, we need to start favouring a driver more now because we need to sort of prioritise them winning a championship. Then fair enough. But that's not the case. 
So you kind of need to work together a bit more. Otherwise, signs is going to look elsewhere, which we've predicted that he will just move to Audi. If, if I was Charles Leclerc, I'd be looking elsewhere, by the way. I think I would, and I think I'd be fed up with it. And I think uh, if you're Carlos Sainz, then, yeah, like why not go to Audi? Why not go and be part of a new project and be the, the main driver there, be the lead driver? Um, and if I was Charles Leclerc, I'd be saying, you know, as soon as Lewis Hamilton retires, get me in a Mercedes. So, uh, sorry, let's talk about Mercedes, but uh, <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a good point. But, um, yeah, it was a P6 George and P4 for Hamilton. In what... I'd say it was a slightly strange weekend for the team. I mean, Russell had a great recovery drive after a terrible qualifying session to finish obviously six after Charles Leclerc's five second penalty swapping them around. However, he's quickly he closing down. Yeah, he was quickly closing down on the Ferrari anyway, and he would have caught him probably with a few more laps to go. And Hamilton obviously fell down to fourth at the start and somewhat struggled for pace whilst the car was heavily fuelled. And sort of once that fuel had burnt off a bit, the Mercedes seemed to come alive again in the closing sort of quarter, maybe third of the race to come home in fourth. But Mercedes obviously still seem to be struggling to understand how their car works. But they they did have a, a, a quick car this race. So do you think Hungary was a step in the right direction for Mercedes? Or do you think they could have done actually better this weekend looking at sort of their pace no i think it's kind of where you expect it in some ways and outperformed others because like freda was saying we weren't expecting lewis to get pulled that was lewis getting the maximum and then some out of the car george buggered by the qualifying but doing what he's good at and making his way through the field and i think with the strength of that McLaren coming out of nowhere and Red Bull ring being Red Bull, that's kind of the best they could have hoped for, really. And it's an awkward thing because if you'd had a few more laps, maybe Lewis could have at least made it go for P3 and been on the podium. So it's 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 a step in the right direction, but it's just we're not sure. We know it's the right direction, we just don't know. We can't see the path. We just know it's the right direction. See, I think he should have got third. Oh, he should have. But yeah. we need two more laps. <laughs> it's the classic then, racing driver thing of just give me one more lap and I can do that. I mean, he was he was able to overtake Piastri. So why couldn't he sort of then get you just get okay. close enough in time? You just run out of laps, I think. That's that's I'm gonna stick by that party line, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Piastri cooked his tires, which I think is why he managed to get past Piastri so easily. Um uh, for me as well, you got to bear in mind that this is a Red Bull that Max Verstappen won the race by thirty seconds in. It's a, it's a you know, very competitive Red Bull, and uh, for Lewis Hamilton to actually be making progress on Perez at the end of the race, albeit with uh, yeah Perez having cooked his tyres as well, I think it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's. Uh, I, I thought it was quite impressive for, from Lewis Hamilton, and the Mercedes seemed quick as well at the end of the stint, which was really weird because it didn't correlate with their pace throughout the race, which I thought was. Really That's the thing that, bug, that confuses everyone the most about it, including Mercedes, is we're really strong and we don't know why in places we yeah. don't know why. And then the places yeah. we think we should have everything, we don't know why that's gone wrong either. So everyone's just yeah. like, what do we do with this information? Move on to uh, McLaren now. And it was a respectable second for Norris. He also took his first consecutive podium. And first podium for McLaren at Hungara Rings is Lewis Hamilton in 2012. And it was then a fifth place finish with Piastri with 
Piastri was actually obviously running ahead of Norris at the start of the race, but Norris got the undercut on his teammate in the first round of pit stops, despite actually Piastri's pit stop was quicker. It just ended up that Norris just had such a good outlap that he managed to get the undercut when not many other drivers did. So I don't think that was any sort of calculating move with McLaren. It just it just kind of happened. It um, felt like one, though, because we're all just wanting Piastri to do well. Just like, damn it, Norris, we'll let the boy on the food here. Yeah, it it sort of, I guess, when looking at F1 teams, you always question motives and uh, whatnot. But then uh, a slower pit stop in the second round for Piastri then left Piastri running about sort of second in front of Perez. As I think it was something like Piastri did a... It wasn't an exceptionally slow pit stop. It was something about like 2.8, but Perez was 1.9 seconds and... Obviously, with the Red Bull behind you, he couldn't he couldn't keep that um, couldn't keep Red Bull behind him, and then Hamilton obviously got got the young Aussie as well. And it was like you're saying, Fraser. I think I think the main takeaway from McLaren is that oh, definitely Piastri here is that he probably needs better tire management. But obviously, this this, this will come in time. Um, other than that, I think it was a strong performance for Piastri, and he's still a rookie. He didn't obviously have a seat in anything last year. He's still doing pretty well to sort of almost be nearing the podiums. Ah, McLaren are cooking, aren't they? They're absolutely. I mean, I didn't expect them to be anywhere. I, you know, I knew around Silverstone they might be competitive because their that that car seems to suit that track. Whether or not they could then do that in Budapest at a track that they, you know, historically haven't really suit their car didn't really suit the low speed corners. And the fact that they've done that in Hungary, they would have right in my opinion, the second quickest team in Hungary. I mean, they are back. They're back for good and they're the closest team to Red Bull, which uh, you know, for the rest of the season could be fascinating. I I uh, I know we're we'll talk maybe about um about Spa at some point. I I think they're going to be really. I think that that track is going to suit the McLaren even more than what Budapest did this weekend, and uh, I think McLaren could be pretty mega around around Spa. Um, yeah, Oscar Piastri, he uh, he cooked his tyres. He'll learn from that. He's uh, he's had a really good start to the season, so I don't think anyone can fault him for that. Uh, and Lando Norris just doing Lando Norris things, just being great, right? And uh, P two is a really solid effort. So yeah, McLaren ten you know, ten out of ten from me. I think they uh, yeah, as I said, they're they're doing really well, aren't they? Um, I think I've got to add on to that is that you mentioning 2012, both of you there. That is also the last time they got back-to-back podiums with Button and Hamilton, Brazil and Austin, I think it was. So that's... uh, I'm kind of glad they're breaking those records, but it doesn't remind you of those records. You're like, Jesus, it's been a while, hasn't it? But I definitely think it's good that... Because we've seen with a lot of teams, it's been very track specific, you know, Aston Martin and, um, and Mercedes, especially, it's been very, very track specific. Whilst Austria, Silverstone and Hungary, I'd say were very different tracks. And the McLaren has excelled in all three of them with the new upgrades. Obviously, Piastri didn't didn't have them in Austria. So I think this this is a sign for good things to come. Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, why do you jinx it? <laughs> wow for, for me guys i mean this 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 uh, the mclaren is a baseline for next season right and uh i just think they're, they're going to build on this they're going to if the 2024 mclaren could be 
a championship winning car, which is really, really exciting. A race winning car at the very least. And uh, yeah, it, it excites me thinking that, you know, as long as Red Bull don't come out of a car that is uh, two laps quicker than everyone else over a race uh, a race uh, distance, um, I think you could have Red Bull, McLaren. I think Ferrari could potentially be up there. Mercedes are going to be back. Uh, maybe Aston Martin. Can I, have I, a- I do love that you proceed to just absolutely dump on Ferrari. Then, but Ferrari they could be up for next year. Ferrari could be. He no, still believes. <laughs> you know, I have, I have trust in our friend Fred Vasseur. You know, he's a feeder series legend, isn't he? And uh, for me, uh, he could do a good job there. So, um, yeah, why not? Let's let's have five teams going for the championship. Let's have uh, seven different winners in seven different races at the start of 2012, like we we had back then. Do you, I mean, don't, don't give me hope no? like that. Don't give me hope like that. Not after this year. <laughs> Well, Red, Red Bull obviously uh, have obviously less money and less time to do upgrades, but obviously they came with upgrades this race um, to help with the cooling of their car, which ultimately I think obviously helped with the hot conditions for the race. Uh, Perez having a good recovery drive to obviously take third, getting his elbows out really during uh, overtakes, but ultimately couldn't catch Lando due to the back markers causing traffic. <laughs> And then fell off the pace a bit once he got past them, and Max just took the took the lead early in turn one, and then in usual Max Verstappen fashion, just continued to lead the entire race really with very little tire degradation and a like we said a thirty three second lead in front of Norris in P two, making this his seventh consecutive win and Red Bull's twelfth, breaking McLaren's record of eleven consecutive wins from nineteen eighty eight with the MP four four. In a few years to come, do you think we will hold the RB19 in the same regard as Prost and Senna's MP44? Will it sort of have the same recognition, do you think? Can I question whether, I mean, yes, 12 consecutive race wins, but that is 11 consecutive race wins this season and one from last season, right? And the McLaren record was all in the same season. So, yes, it was... You're really sticking a lot on Spa, aren't you? I'm not having it until they win Spa. If they win Spa, I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I get it. Like, yeah, I'll hold that car in the same regard as as the the 88 McLaren. But until they win Spa, I don't think I'd buy that, you know. I I don't know. Maybe I'm being really picky. I don't know. I don't think you can use the car from last year. I think the thing for me is, is that you also think about how different that McLaren was in 88 and you can have it's got the record it will have or it will have the record probably um fingers crossed it doesn't and that's all very well and good but it's also it's it's like trying to compare Fangio and Schumacher because you've just got such different eras that I'm not saying it's easier now but it's just there's a different difficulty level with it and it doesn't feel I feel like there's a certain cutoff point with the classic F1 stuff where it's it's a whole other ball game and it's that more it's the earlier you do it the more impressive it is because the less you have available to you so i'm not trying to take anything away from red bull necessarily there but because it's impressive with what they've got but i just wonder could they have done that back in 88 probably not completely agree they might might have with adrian newey you've got to think he didn't he didn't do it then did he so well, no, because he was what? Either he wasn't in F one, or if he was, he was with March at that point. It wasn't until he moved. His excuses. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, he went to Williams and won the championship straight away. And then he did the same with well, McLaren. If he could do so, us all a favour and go to Williams again and fix them, because I would have no problem with 10 straight years of Williams domination after everything we've been doing going through. We get Alex Albon and Logan Sargent as multiple world champions each, please, and thank you. Goodbye. Can you imagine? That'd be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Can we say as well, like, people talk about who's the greatest of all time in Formula One. Some people say Thank Michael you. Schumacher, some say people say Senna, Fangio, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The greatest of all time is Adrian Newey. I don't care what anyone says, right? The guy is an absolute genius. He has made a bigger impact on Formula One than what any of those drivers have done. And uh, yeah, he's still at it. He's still at it. Do you know what I mean? Winning championship after championship. And this won't be his last championship. He'll, you know, that'll be a, a red ball. I think that should be a thing that they have in the regulations. Whoever whoever does worse in the championship gets Newey. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to fix you and then he goes back to the next worst team and just brings everyone back up well there you go they'll just send him to Alpatari next year or whatever that's going to look like and Daniel Ricciardo wins the championship we're back to Ricciardo winning the championship So uh... see I've got logic in here somewhere well it was like how we were saying when um, they took wind tunnel time away from Red Bull we were like eh, is that really going to have an effect on them maybe we should have sort of less Adrian Newey time instead love that <laughs> Amazing. Can you imagine that? Blindfold on him. <laughs> Blunt pencil um, or something. Because he still draws draws on uh, yeah. on paper, doesn't he? It's an amazing record though, isn't it? And you know, Red Bull. I think they will go and win in Spa, and I think they'll 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 go thirteen. Now, how how far can they extend that record? That's gonna be really interesting, isn't it? So, um, it's a it's a great record. Well done to Red Bull. It's it's an amazing achievement, and um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know what they can do for the rest of the season because the next one will be how many wins in a season they can get, right? I mean, they I'm sure they're going to break that record as well. So, um, uh, it's an amazing team, and we are watching history right now, which is uh, an amazing thing. So. We'll okay. move on then to our winners and spinners, which we'll zip through quickly because I think we've pretty much said all the reasons for our winners and spinners already here. For me, George Russell for his recovery drive. It just it's kind of it's exactly what a second driver or a or a second driver, but not necessarily a second driver, needs to do in a top team like that in order to make sure that you bring the points home at the end of the day. So easy one for me. Ellie May. I've gone for McLaren, as as obviously we've mentioned early on, strong, consistent drive from both drivers for pretty much the third time in the row, especially as these are, are very different circuits, with it indicating obviously that this isn't a track-specific performance as we've seen with other teams, so they may not fluctuate as much. This could just be an upward trajectory. Fraser, your winner. Yeah, you can't argue with McLaren, can you? The the other one for me is uh, Lewis Hamilton. I think it was a spectacular lap on uh, Saturday, and uh, or the, even though uh, Sunday didn't necessarily go to plan for for Mercedes and for for Lewis Hamilton, I think he outperformed the car on Saturday, and that that lap was uh, put in a Mercedes where he absolutely should not have been. And yeah, maybe people got a position. Hundred and four. You can't argue with it, can you? You can't argue with it. And um... it's, it's also worth noting as well that over in IndyCar, Will Power had the record for sixty-eight pole positions and still has that record because he beat it twice on Saturday. So now has the sixty-ninth and seventieth pole position to his career. So it's a good day for for people who get pole position. Spinners wise, Ellie May, it's an obvious one, but they, it's yeah, it's an obvious one. Alpine, they just can't catch a break. No, no, they cannot. Joe, for me, I'm afraid. I mean, there's, there's, there's just not much to say about Alpine. It's just pry and, and go back to the drawing board there. Joe, for 
just there was so much potential there and it's a shame to have seen it wasted maybe it's a little unfair to say but he's the one in the car at the end of the day so tough tough break for me Fraser. Uh, Logan Sargent, he literally spam, so uh, that's the reason for that one. Um, and uh, Aston Martin, I mean, yeah, they've just backpedaled so far since the, the start of the season, so yeah. So for Constructors Countdown, despite a change in drivers, Alpha Tari still remain at the bottom of the standings in B10. Alpha Romeo P9, whilst Haas remain in P8, tying, in, tying on 11 points with Williams, who sit in P7 on countback. A pointless weekend in more more than one sense of the word sees Alpine stay in P6, their gap from McLaren ahead in P5 worsening from 12 points to 40 as we move into Spa. Ferrari outscored Aston Martin, closing the gap from P4 to P3, now down to 17. Aston Martin hold on to P3, while in P2, P2 Mercedes lost touch ever more with the Red Bull ahead. And in P1, over double the haul of P2 with 452 points, it's Red Bull. Madness. And, I know. And now I'm going into our predictions review. Also madness. <laughs> also madness. One point for both Jesse and Georgia for their max win. Two points for Timo for max win and Norris second. And four points for me for the max win, fastest slap, Norris second, and Ricardo beating Yuki in quali and the race. Thank you. I said to her earlier, Frasier, she's like the, the Max Verstappen this year, and I'm just Alonso, Perez, and Hamilton all rolled into one, and I still can't touch her. I just I get a chip away, and then she does something like this, and I'm like, come on, mean. It's, it's a great prediction, man. Anyway, if you want to give me next week's lottery numbers, then uh, feel free. <laughs> if, if, if I could do that, I would. It'd be, but... it'd be your kind of luck of giving him the numbers, he wins, but if you chose yeah. the numbers for yourself, you wouldn't win. Maybe we'll have to do a deal, but I'll I'll get get a few million if if I do. <laughs> Amazing. F one fancy review wise for Budapest, we had Alex H nine V two and Alex H nine in the top two positions there. So both his teams did very well, three hundred fifty four points and three hundred thirty two points respectively. And P three was Francisco Road with three hundred thirteen points. EMT Racing was P8 with 262 points and on the curves with P14 on 200. So only a decent gap there as per usual. Overall, Francisco Rhodes with 3,326 points now. Alex H9V2 with 3,320. And then Arg making a good appearance there with 3,288 points. EMT Racing still P8 with 2,815 points. But I am getting there slowly and surely. I don't know if it's going to be enough in time for the end of the season at this rate. Probably not. But P12, 2,469 points. And interestingly, please subscribe is now in P33 with 815 points to its name and has solidified its place now at the very bottom of the pack on our fancy F1 league. Do you know what the irony is? I kicked out Nick DeFries in my F1 fantasy uh, league and then a couple of days later he got kicked out of F1. Stop doing things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Marco we've got to worry about, it's Ellie May. And I think it's it's, it's ridiculous that you two are hey, mate, like you, that. If you could get rid of Max Verstappen from your fantasy league. <laughs> <then, laughs> No, he's he's got double double uh he's got the double thing on there. Double my uh, so yeah, it sounds like that's double reason to get rid. I reckon. <laughs> I appreciate the effort there, Fraser. I need all the help I can get in in one of these championships at least. 
Uh, and, and on that bombshell, I think that's all we've got time for for this week's episode. So thanks again, Fraser, for coming on. If people want to see more of you, where can we find you in the meantime? Yeah, over on Inside F2. Um, yeah, at F2 Inside on Twitter, uh, at Inside Formula 2 on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, go and check out our YouTube channel, uh, Inside F2. We've got, uh, yeah, uh, loads of podcasts, loads of driver interviews. Recently sat down with Brad Benavidez, which is a really interesting interview. Um, so uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Ellie May, yourself? You can find me doing the graphics on our Instagram page or our TikToks. We've got stuff from Goodwood on there, so take a look at that. And we will have, hopefully, some content from the Formulary Pre in London as well, as I am going there on Saturday. So make sure you look out for that. As for myself, you could find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, and Instagram, and as well, not necessarily the weekend, I'll be posting this stuff. I'll find out. I will have an absolute mismatch of, of content if you're the Formula E LMA. But I'll be at the F1 Academy in Castellet, so I'll try and get some footage and pictures from there as well. So we'll have a busy weekend, and maybe we'll actually watch some Formula 1 as well over all of that. Who knows? Anyway, that is all we've got time for, so we'll see you all very soon. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>